Hello, and welcome back to Getting to the Bottom of It. I'm your host, Sejo Govindarao. This week, in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I will be bringing on two guests, one from college Democrats and the other from college Republicans, to debate the recent voting rights legislation, the filibuster, voting restrictions, and the state of our very polarized country at large. Let's get started. I'm joined by PJ Johnson, president of College Democrats, and Jacoby Cipher, freshman representative for the GW College Republicans. And so first, we're going to start with the passing of voting restrictions. People have talked about how a culture war is brewing and how the insurrection wasn't the beginning of a deep partisan divide in our country. Um, PJ, we'll start with you first. Did we see these restrictions coming? And how do each of you see it impacting the quote unquote culture war in the future? Hi, and thank you so much for having having me, me on it. It's a great pleasure. I do think that we should have seen these restrictions coming because a lot of these restrictions are really just more, I would guess, say severe compared to what we've seen, for example, Wisconsin and North Carolina before the 2020 election began putting in um, more restrictions on voting in, in, in particular surrounding voter ID laws. So I think we did see this coming and with, um, with COVID making it to where we can now vote by, by mail more so than we already were, I think that now we're truly seeing the, the, the true colors of some in the, the Republican party who want to try to make voting harder for everyone, not, not um, and tilt the election, I think, in their way. So I'm going to first thank you also for having me on. And uh, I'd like to uh, first say I'm here as a representative of myself. My opinions don't necessarily reflect that of the GW College Republicans, but having spoke with a large population um, of the people in our group and uh, Republicans more broadly, I'll say three things here. First, um, the bills that passed uh, or I should say that died in the Senate uh, in the recent days were federal overreach, number one. I don't feel like there's any large scale effort or campaign to limit voting rights to a broad swath of Americans. And frankly, most Americans don't feel like that either. Uh, I have no problems with mail-in voting, but the vast majority of people support voter ID. They support stricter requirements for voting. You should have to prove who you are and that you live in a specific state and that you're up to date on your ability to vote. And I think like 80% of people agree with me, it's at least not 75%, which is like an overwhelming majority. Uh, number two, on the whole issue of like voting rights being like curbed or curtailed in like an effort to harm democracy or that happening on the right, I feel like that's largely fabricated, not fabricated in so much that like it's this lie put out by Democrats in the culture war, more so that there's a difference of opinion between what Democrats think are good voting policies and what Republicans think are good voting policies. A lot of Republicans like voter ID. That doesn't necessarily mean they're trying to stop um, Black or Hispanic or white people from voting at all. They just want to make it harder for voter fraud to be conducted. That has nothing to do with like curbing democracy. Uh, and the third point here, those specific bills, as we'll get to later, are simply not the place of the federal government. So any curtailment, uh, what I call enforcing a law you think is occurring at the state level, is um, totally fine because it's, it's the state's place to make how voter elections are conducted. But those, those three things are like my key voters today. Yeah, so uh, I guess uh, to try to 
address it one one by one. Um, let's start with um, voter fraud. That's pretty, it's been pretty widely shown that voter fraud is not a widespread issue. It's very, very, very small. And one thing I've always wondered is if we can barely get a majority of the American people to act, actually vote, why, are, why, why do we have this fantasy that people are just trying to, to, to fake vote or trying to vote twice? We can't even get a majority of Americans to, to just vote once. So I don't, I think the excuse of you want to protect the, the vote and make it to where voter fraud isn't happening is a fairly weak excuse given that it's not a really big issue not not number one um and going off of voter id laws i don't think anyone is opposed to people proving who they are even stacy abrams i think came out in favor of the freedom to vote act which does put in place a voter id law the issue is you you are making it to where it's hard for people to get it if you're going to have a voter id law you should make it to where the the state that is issuing said laws are providing these cards or pamphlets or whatever the identification is to all of the people so that way they can do so or have a very broad um, swath of options, whether it be a student ID card, your driver's license, a utility bill, all of those things should be accepted. So those are, uh, and when it comes down to federal overreach, personally, I think we have to rethink how we do do elections in, in this kind in this country, allowing the the different states to make these different rules to me is in, is in, in part why we have such an issue in the first place. We do not have a universal way of voting. Voting is the same wherever you you go. It's not like people all of a sudden have a change in in process that you have to say you can do vote by mail here for x amount of days it should be universal so i i personally think that while that's not the law now we should definitely re revisit that and make it to where there are national standards that the states have to follow so that way we don't have a lot of these problems anymore so i'll go over your uh, your first point last because i feel like that's pretty pretty crucial like where we split ideologically here i'm a pretty big proponent of federalism right and so not to tout the the old um republican adage here but obviously uh, america is in a majoritarian democracy we're a federation of, of states so like i see it as maine vermont and arizona just to name three uh, very different states in terms of how elections are conducted have very different voting measures for different reasons. The populations want to vote differently. I see that you'll have people, maybe a majority of people in Arizona might reject these laws. Maybe they wouldn't. I'd want to see a study on that. But I'm certain that a certain part of the population would vote differently than like Maine in terms of how they're conducted. You have different state legislatures making these rules up for a reason. I'm I don't know if I can convince you of that because federalism is sort of like a personal ideology you can choose to adopt. I think while you may believe a uniform standard of voting is more efficient, I think that state federalism exists for a reason because different people want different things and that cramming this down states throats when Maine would be like, no, we want to reject these rules because the people in our county and then the people uh, in the state Maine legislature were like, nah, we're going to have voting mail days for like seven days as opposed to 14 and you may think it should be 14 but you don't live in maine uh or at least i don't know if you have but it's it's that exact problem that some people in dc got together and decided that people in arizona and people in maine and people in vermont would all vote the same way 
um, in terms of methods. And I just don't think that makes sense at all. Now, I'll say, uh, as for um, voting fraud not being a huge problem, I'm not going to stand here and claim that it is. You won't catch me promoting any conspiracy theories about Trump winning the 2020 election or voter fraud being um, a major issue in 2022 or 2024. What I am concerned about is restoring faith and confidence in our elections. So you see this sort of interesting lie propagated by Joe Biden and other people in the Democratic Party that if potentially Republican turnout is better. It was the gerrymandered districts or like disenfranchisement of African-Americans. I simply disagree with that, number one. And I disagree with it for two reasons, because I think one way to make sure that there's public confidence increase in elections is strengthening voter ID. You said the Freedom to Vote Act does that, not quite. Uh, I thought it specifically said that you could have a sworn statement by someone who claimed to have known you I don't know how legitimate I feel that is personally. I mean, we can have more of a broader discussion about that, but the Freedom to Vote Act not only makes it easier to vote, which I can understand on some level, like making a, a federal elections a national holiday, that might make sense. Other things like the sworn statement, I don't think should be in there at all. Standardizing it across um, federal federalized lines, I don't think that should be in there at all. Do I think states more generally should make things easier to vote? Yes. And that should take us at to the state level. In fact, we might agree on a great many things, like the whole election being a national holiday, um, mail-in voting. Uh, but should all these things be done at the state level? Yes. Should we include and improve confidence in um, federal elections? Yes. And we do that by voter ID. If voter ID was a significant and very like prominent thing, Republicans wouldn't have had anything to scream about, despite them screaming irrationally. Um, in 2020. And so let's just take that issue off the table so it's not even a Republican talking point anymore. Because uh, I think everyone should be capable of procuring ID. I myself, Black American, registered to vote in the state of Arizona, um, have a state ID. I think that was enough for me to register to vote. Um, and I think I registered the day I turned 18. So I'm not saying it should be hard to vote, but it shouldn't be incredibly easy, not only to prevent voter fraud, but because getting a driver's license isn't easy getting all these things that you want to prove your identity isn't necessarily easy. Getting a birth certificate isn't the easiest thing in the world. You have to wait weeks for that. Um, but yeah, to just streamline those three things, let's improve election security. There's a lot of things we probably agree on and I still stand by my point about federalism and state elections. Okay, yeah, no, um, so I guess to go on, on, that, on that point, I don't think anyone's making the argument that the federal government should just have 100% control. It's just about offering options and the federal government can make sure that those options are allowed. Because what I don't understand, why is it that a Maine voter is different from a Vermont voter in the sense that, okay, you wanna vote in person, I wanna vote by, by mail. Just have those op options open for, for everyone. I'm not going to point to one particular group, but it is making things harder. They are making it to where drop boxes are not as plentiful. Polling stations are not as plentiful. If you truly want to, to expand access to the ballot, make more polling stations, give more funding so, so poll work workers can be secure in, in their job, open up how, how many avenues you have to vote. So, and uh, I want to address your, your, your last point, which was um, voter fraud. You said re restoring faith in, in elections. 
clearly in 2020, we saw a massive surge in voter turn turnout around 66%, if I recall co correctly, the highest we, we, we've had in any modern day election. So I'm not seeing exactly where there is a loss of confidence in the electoral process up until we started pet peddling conspiracy theories. And, uh, and this isn't pointed at, at you, but just, just gen generally. So I think that the reason people are dissatisfied is because of the system. And that means we have to take a look at the system itself. So that may mean revisiting a federal approach to voting or some other way, but we can't, but we have to change something. I want to interject right here. We've talked a lot about the legislation, and I want to shift our conversation to the effectiveness of the legislators, specifically Manchin and Cinema's response. Both senators have proven to be difficult to unite with their party. Senator Cinema was just censured by Arizona's Democratic Party Executive Board, and Senator Manchin is facing a lot of blame as well for the legislation not passing. PJ, what is your take on this, and how does this divergence within the Democratic Party impact its congressional majority in the midterms? And Jacoby, a question for you. What message do you think this sends Republicans? PJ, we'll start with you. Yeah, so uh, I want to start off by by saying uh, Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema both seem to be in favor of the two pieces of legislation. Um, Joe Manchin was a primary author of the Freedom to Vote, Vote Act, and the Freedom to Vote Act was endorsed by Stacey Abrams. So I, I don't think, uh, I, I don't critique him on where he stands on voting rights, where I think I and many others critique him is his stance on process, is his stance on why in fact we need to have 60 votes. 60 votes is a very arbitrary number. It hasn't always been 60 votes. The filibuster did not even always exist. And the founding of this country, it was a majoritarian thing. Then by the 20th century, it was 67 votes. And then um, now it's 60 votes. So clearly it's ar arbitrary and there is no philosophical reason for why we should have 60 votes. And I, I think that that is why we should move it to, to 50 plus one, because we have elected these senators and representatives to represent us for lack, for lack of, of a better term. When the majority of them have spoken, that is in theory, a majority of the country. And we see poll after poll, these two bills are popular. And to go to your point about the midterms, I think that this is going to really hurt Dem Democrats, not only from a, a procedural standpoint, but just from an optics standpoint. It, it makes Democrats look very disorganized and very out of order. And I think that Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema, by not agreeing to get rid of the filibuster or at least alter it to where more debate can happen, is very detrimental, not only to the Democratic Party from an electoral standpoint, but just for the health of our country. All right, so a few things. Uh, as the dutiful Republican here, you know I am going to come in and defend the filibuster. I'll start with two points, anti-majoritarianism and why the number should be 60. So a quick philosophical rundown here. You have this idea of anti-majoritarianism in which that democracy is probably the highest good we can achieve as a society in terms of making decisions. And democracy just makes sense from a logistical standpoint of getting what the will of the people done and the will of the people executed. And as good as that is, that majority power comes with limits. Why are those limits there? To protect the minority against tyranny. So what do I mean by that? 
I mean that when you have a majority of people who want something that can be a good thing, that can be a bad thing. But the reason the filibuster was eventually put in place was so that you wouldn't have wild, radical, swinging changes in legislation where 52 senators uh, pass some act that like wildly, uh, radically alters government consensus because they're now in power, just like how the filibuster was used dozens of times back in 2016. And I could stand here and quote Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi um, uh, or Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema and all of these people and like six other Democratic senators, because um, you know that bill, despite all the Republicans uh, voting against it, there were other Democrats who as recently as like the 2010s, uh, back when Obama was president, who would have also uh, and insisted that the filibuster was a democratic institution um, that needed to that was needed to prevent majoritarian tyranny, and it was recently as used as far back as Trump, which was literally just a year ago. Um, and they claimed to like the filibuster when they're the minority in power, and so no one likes being the minority here, and so they use that to protect them. And now that they're the majority power, it's sort of like, well, we'll just use that as a club to beat. Uh, the 49 uh, other or 50 other Republican senators and doing whatever we want. Um, so in explaining why the filibuster exists, I'll now get to why it's 60 votes. Your comment was why not 50 plus one? That's the majority, the importance of the majority, the importance of democracy. I'll cite again that having a, a majority isn't enough to me. So it's not enough to me for a few reasons. Number one, the majority is incredibly narrow and it's incredibly narrow and because of that, I feel like a significant majority is a better consensus for laws. So like if you have 51% of the Senate agreeing that something should be passed, that might make sense because 51% of the Senate agrees, but that's a very small majority of America, of uh, senators. What if a majority of Americans feel differently? Uh, I think that a higher percentage of senators, we agree the number is 60 now. You think it shouldn't be 60? I think it should be. I think that there should be a threshold for, okay, a significant majority, not just like 51% of senators in the Senate agree that this is a good thing, it should pass. Now, maybe we can negotiate that number down to 55, but when it comes down to like something as small as um, uh, one senator or like a tie-breaking vote with Camilla Harris in the House, you're going to have people that think that shouldn't be the case, and I don't think it should be the case because we're an anti-majoritarian country. Uh, this goes back as far back as the Constitution and this idea that like you have a republic of states. It's just like how the electoral college exists and how the majoritarian will of the people has been subverted. Other people don't like that. You, PJ, yourself may be against the electoral college um, has been technically subverted. I use that word loosely here in that of the popular vote went to a Democrat, but a Republican won. We're a very anti-majoritarian country. And I think a significant majority in the government should be needed to approve things. That significant majority right now sits at 60%. The Democrats do not meet that threshold. Them not meeting that threshold may not allow them to get their legislation passed. It may not allow them to get their bills enacted, but that's just unfortunate for them. And the midterms will give the Republicans, I'll, and I'll address their 2022 point here, a majority. In fact, I believe a Republican majority that could be 53 to 47. Um, and I bet you, if you ask me again, when the Republicans are in power, I will just as proudly proclaim that the filibuster is still a good thing as I thought way back in 2016, when the Republicans were the majority, as Paul Ryan thought. Paul Ryan could have done many things, but he also agreed that the filibuster should be in place. So 
So just remember, as Harry Reid said, with the nuclear option, despite him doing this, you may come to regret this decision when the Republicans are in power in 2022. Actions have consequences, and regardless of who's in power, I'm against majoritarianism, ideologically and in practice. Yeah, uh, I didn't hear any complaints from anyone when Mitch McConnell gutted the filibuster for su Supreme Court picks. I didn't hear any com complaints when all the judges and um, cabinet nominations that were passed by Pre President Trump were just passed by simple majority. That's lauded as one of his greatest accomplishments. So I think it's very sanctimonious of anyone who makes the argument that Oh, I'm I'm anti-majoritarian, but where where where's the actual act action there? All of the American people did not elect every U.S. senator. Each state, each district elected their own senator and their own representative. But you know who they did elect? Joseph Biden. They elected a president of the United States, and that president campaigned on an agenda of build back better, of passing voting rights, of passing vote, of, of passing criminal justice reform. And the filibuster is standing in the way of the agenda that the American people voted for. And not just a tiny pl pl plurality, but the largest number of voters to ever cast their ballots in an election in American history made it for Joe Biden. All right, so I have a quick response to that. All I can do here is echo uh, Senator Cinema and Joe Manchin in that eliminating the filibuster, I didn't bring this up before, but I think it should be said here, uh, especially if we're gonna move on, I don't know if we will, but um, worsening bipartisanship, this idea that collaboration between Democrats and Republicans is incredibly important. I happen to think that it is, number one. Number two, I re-echo my point about uh, majoritarianism being dangerous for the country and wild Radical ideological swings occurring in the Senate is not good. Stability is the rock upon which democracy sits and 51% tipping that rock over simply because those are the whims of people who uh, won in 2020 is not a good enough reason for me. And thank God it wasn't a good enough reason for Senator Sinema and Joe Manchin to think that the filibuster should be abolished. I also echo the 61 senators who four years ago sent a letter uh, to Mitch McConnell, specifically asking him not to abolish the filibuster. Uh, when this came time for other voting bills that were in play in 2016 and 2017, when we had a majority, the filibuster was important then simply because they weren't in power. It's important now equally when they are. Uh, I think the only reason you're seeing this push is because the Democrats have that power. You may think that that's a good thing and that the will of the people should be respected. I think the will of the people should be respected when it's a heavier majority, because honestly, the people who speak against the majority are the minority, and they need some sort of protection. The filibuster is that protection, and it's not only that protection to prevent said tyranny, it's that protection to prevent division, and it encourages bipartisanship, it encourages compromise. The filibuster itself, as an institution, makes Democrats go back to the floor, all right? We'll remove this. We'll put that in there. We'll put this in there. Imagine if you had a majority that 51% would imagine that, well, the Democrats can pass whatever they want. You know what that does? It makes um, it makes them have to cooperate with the other 49 Republicans. For any sort of bill to get passed, they have to add things. They have to remove things. While bipartisanship may be a dying art in this country, you kill it completely when you kill the filibuster. That's all we have for you today, Jacoby and PJ. Thank you so much for hopping on this week.
thank thanks for having us uh thank you for having me i'm glad that hatchet does things like this and promotes like uh cross-partisan talks